Welcome, and thank you for listening to the West Hills Podcast. West Hills Church is a balanced, engaged, authentic, disciple-making church that serves the St. Louis, Missouri area with Sunday services at 9 and 1045 a.m. For more information on our church, go to westhillsstl.org. Now, here's the sermon from Sunday. quite a sermon introduction. If you can't beat it, steal it. So that's how the famous sermon that we now know as the book of Ecclesiastes begins. Well, welcome to West Hills. <laughs> We're glad you're here. My name is Will Duvall. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, we want to say a special welcome to those of you who may be visiting this morning. Um, you're actually coming at a a great time. And so we'd love to connect with you. We'd love to answer any questions you might have about the church, the Bible, um, the Christian faith. Uh, And and we'd also love to hear more about you, what you're looking for in a church and what brings you here. And so a great way to do that is by filling out the New to West Hills card that you should have received in your bulletin on the way in this morning. And you can drop that at the info bar out the double doors here um, on your way out, and uh, like I said, we'd love to give you a little thank you gift for being with us and connect with you. As I said, if, if, if you are visiting, joining us the perfect time, we're launching this new uh, sermon series for the fall in Ecclesiastes, and maybe that's why you're here. I had encouraged um, our regulars here at West Hills to be inviting friends, and especially friends who family who, who may be skeptical of Christianity. If that's you this morning, you're here, we're so glad you're here. Ecclesiastes is a perfect book for you, or perhaps you're just looking for a solid biblical uh, church that's committed to expository preaching, preaching through the full counsel of God, even the, the tough books in scripture. Either way, we're really glad you're here. Uh, we've got a lot to get to this morning, and so um, let me give you kind of the outline of of the morning. We're going to spend roughly the first half of the sermon considering together the context, backdrop, and the main idea of Ecclesiastes, that first big bullet point, half of your your bulletin there. Hopefully the video was helpful to that end as well. And then we're going to spend the second half uh, unpacking the rest of chapter 1 verse by verse together and the six additional sub-points Uh, that uh, support the main idea here. And so let's read it, let's pray, and let's dive in. I encourage you to stand with me as you're able for the reading of God's Word from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1. If you're following along in your own Bibles, you've got Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, right there uh, toward the middle of your Bible. Hear the Word of the Lord. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The 
sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens back to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around the wind goes, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they will flow again. All things are full of weariness. The man cannot even utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's already been in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, and I perceived perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases Knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your inspired, inerrant, complete, perfect word. God, we come to you this morning, again, confessing that we all have lived this past week, lived our lives, giving our our hearts, our mind, soul, strength, ourselves to other lesser things, pursuits in this world under the sun. We have tried to attach our meaning, our identity, our joy, our fulfillment, to all sorts of other lesser things. Father, would you help us this morning through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and through the teaching, unpacking of your word, would you help us to see all those other vain pursuits for what they are, vanity, uh, meaningless, in the scheme of eternity, empty, hollow, sinking sand. Would you use even this difficult book, the Bible, in this first chapter and introduction to fill our hearts with longing and yearning for more of Jesus, the only one who can truly satisfy our soul's deepest desires. It's in his precious name and for for your glory, Jesus, that we pray. 
Amen. You can be seated. So we begin with six points of context to help situate us in the text. First, genre. What type of book is Ecclesiastes? The video informed us. It's one of the Old Testament's wisdom books. They introduced us to three of them. Uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job. Most scholars will include two additional ones, Psalms and Song of Solomon. The purpose of all wisdom literature is the same, as they said, is to answer the question, how do we live well in this world? Second, author who wrote Ecclesiastes. Well, as the video explained, again, we actually hear two voices in the text who they call the critic and the author. Now, the author, who starts in verse 1, only shows up in seven verses in the whole book. Chapter 1, verse 1, and then he's going to finish, bookend, the, the conclusion, the final six verses to close out Ecclesiastes. The other 215 verses in the middle, there are just 4,537 words in all of Ecclesiastes. That means that every single one of my sermons this fall will likely be just a bit longer than the actual sermon that we're unpacking the entire thing. Uh, the, The book of Ecclesiastes is one giant sermon. You could sit down and read the whole thing in about half an hour. As a matter of fact, how many of y'all did that this week? You remember I gave you that as homework? Okay, about a third of you. Pastoral authority is meaningless, apparently, for for two-thirds of you. Uh, So I, if you didn't do that this week, please, I encourage you again, exhort you, go do that this week. Um, We don't know who the author is, but we do know who the critic is, and our ESV translation here of verse 1, the preacher, that's a much better rendering of uh, his identity, this Hebrew word, Kohelet. These are the words of Kohelet, verse 1. It's a participle of the verb meaning to gather or assemble. So Kohelet is the gatherer. And because the word is primarily used in the Old Testament to refer to gathering people for the purpose of worshiping God, hence the translation, the preacher, the pastor, one who gets church together to hear from God. Which leads us to our third contextual question about the title, why Ecclesiastes? Well, ecclesia is the Greek word for church, for gathering, an assembly of the people for corporate worship. And so Ecclesiastes is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Kohelet. But returning for a moment to the question of authorship, we know more than just Kohelet's title. We know who this preacher is, don't we? Who is he? Solomon. It's King Solomon. Verse 1 identifies him as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now David had a few sons, But the only one who ever reigned in Jerusalem was Solomon. And moreover, the preacher is going to claim later, next week, chapter 2, that he has more wealth, more wisdom than any other king before him. We know from uh, 1 Kings 4.30, chapter 20 and 20, verse 23, that was Solomon, wisest and wealthiest. Now, some think the author who recorded his sermon here for us was a contemporary of the king, who was capturing Solomon's final 
words from his deathbed in 931 BC, which would make Ecclesiastes something like his memoir, an autobiographical account of what Solomon had learned from his futile attempt to live without God after having been led astray into idolatry by his 700 foreign wives before finally returning to Yahweh in his old age. Others speculate that this is the work of a much later scribe simply attributing these sayings to Solomon as the best candidate to take us on this, this journey of someone who had everything and then found it meaningless. Uh, the important thing for us to recognize is that the, the real, the determinative author here is who? It's the Holy Spirit, right? Because all scripture really is God-breathed. God is the one, ultimately, who wants to speak to us this fall through his word, his book of Ecclesiastes. Now, that leads us fourthly and most importantly to the question of message. What is his message? What does God want to say to us through this difficult book? And the main idea of chapter one, your first big fill in the blank in your bulletin, the driving thesis for the entire book of Ecclesiastes, you ready for it? All we have to do really is reread verse two all over again, but we're going to leave a little Hebrew in this time. Hevel of hevels, says the preacher. Hevel of hevels. Everything is hevel. That's his main idea. It sort of tips you off to it with the sermon title. Everything is hevel. Sort of begs the question, though, what in the world is hevel? Uh, The video hopefully helped explain it, but just to restate it, for the purpose of emphasis, because if you don't understand this term, you won't understand anything we're going to study the rest of the fall. This is, this is the whole book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell, Hevel. Uh, here's how commentator Philip Reichen explains it. Taken literally, the Hebrew word for Hevel refers to a breath, a vapor, a puff of smoke, the cloud of steam that comes from hot breath on a frosty morning. Life is like that. It is elusive, enigmatic. Life is so insubstantial that when we try and get our hands on it, it slips right through our fingers. Life is also transitory. It disappears just as suddenly as it came. We are here today and gone tomorrow, and thus the Bible compares our mortal existence to a vapor. Our days vanish like a mere breath, the psalmist says. James 4.14 asks, What is your life? For you are but a mist that appears for a little time, and then vanishes. So Pastor Thad asked if I wanted to bring in some smoke machines for this series to help with the visual um, demonstration. It would be good uh, if I was like uh, Tim, Tim Mackey when he preached through, he smoked the pipe on stage. I don't know if I could get away with that here at West Hills. We're a little maybe too conservative. He's out on the West Coast. Uh, but, but, but we discover that Hevel has two important connotations. It's ethereal, it's also ephemeral, it's intangible, and it's also impermanent. It's both fickle and fleeting. And it's not a perfect English word that really captures both the meanings. How many of your translations say vanity? Like we read earlier, vanity. It's the ESV, NASB, KJV. It's pretty good pretty good. Life is hollow. It's, it's not solid. That's why we open this morning by singing the solid rock. 
On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? It's hevel. That's hevel. Okay? Some of your Bibles have meaningless. Anyone have meaningless? Two of you. How many of you all have a Bible? Okay, if you don't, we've got extra Bibles at the info bar. I don't know what translations y'all have, but like five people have raised their hands so far. Um, meaningless, that's the NIV, the NLT, the CEV translates nonsense. So these are less good translations. Um, it's not that life has no meaning. It makes no sense. It's just hard to grasp. The best translation of all, believe it or not, you want to guess, best translation? It's the message. The message. Everyone loves to hate on the message translation. Oh, it's so far from the original text. Well, at least on this one point, this one, in this one case, the message actually gets closest of all. It translates smoke, smoke, nothing but smoke. Everything's going up in smoke. Hence our series subtitle, Everything is up in space. It's passing away. It's all for naught. It's all going to burn. But here is the really key asterisk to that statement. Hopefully, you're going to see as we unpack it, we'll prevent you from clinical depression this morning. That qualifies Solomon's main idea here. He says, everything is hevel, dot, 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 under the sun. Okay? The word hevel occurs 38 times in Ecclesiastes. Five times in verse 2 alone. By the way, in biblical Hebrew, there are two ways of grammatically emphasizing a point by using a superlative, by using repetition. Superlative, the holy of holies, i.e., the holiest place of all. Or repetition, God is holy, holy, holy. In other words, he's really holy, right? Well, notice here how Solomon employs both those devices, superlative and repetition. Hevel of hevels. Hevel of hevels. He repeats it. All is hevel. Five times. And speaking of repetition, though, second only to hevel is his repetition of the phrase under the sun. He repeats that 30 times in just 12 chapters. And so the more precise main idea here is this. Everything is hevel under the sun, which brings us to contextual point number five, his approach. How is Solomon going to lead us to this conclusion, his main idea that everything under the sun is hevel? Answer, he's going to share his testimony with us, his testimony. Now, if you've ever shared your testimony with someone else, your personal story of God, how God brought you to saving faith in Jesus. I hope you have shared that story. We're just coming out, of course, of the, from the book of Acts, and there were a couple weeks there as we saw Paul share his testimony with folks that I, I, I gave you that as your assignment for the week. Go share your testimony with someone. Be, be biblical like Paul. Well, if you've ever done that and gotten any instruction on how to share your testimony with someone, you've probably been told not to focus too much on your life before Christ. All right? Don't 
don't over-dramatize it, over-glorify your previous life of, of, of sin. Make sure that they know that you're a sinner who was lost in need of Jesus. But try and focus more on how God met you in your need and how much of a difference Jesus has made since then, since you were spiritually reborn. Well, listen, Solomon never took an evangelism class. So, he's going to give us 11 and a half chapters of these are all the things I tried to find fulfillment in. I tried to attach meaning to. All the things I tried to fill that God-shaped void in my heart with before the author finally steps in in just the last five verses and gives us what Solomon eventually learned after all of his wandering, after 11 and a half chapters full of Hevel. I think about it sort of like uh, the end of uh, the great movie, The Shawshank Redemption, where Red narrates for us how Andy Dufresne took 20 years to dig his tunnel and escape out of the prison, how he crawled to freedom through 500 yards of poop-smelling foulness. Well, just imagine that the entire two-hour-long movie instead was just you watching Andy dig through poop for, for two hours. You just, it would be a really boring movie, uh, and it would be hard to watch, right? And, but then the last 30 seconds, you see him actually emerge triumphantly free. You know, that great scene at the end of the movie where he's, he's dancing in the rain. Well, that's essentially the book of Ecclesiastes. Hard movie to watch, hard book to read. You can pray for me, by the way, this fall. I, I try to be kind of like a method preacher uh, where you kind of live in, embody the, the spirit, the tone, the, the world of the, the, the author and the book that we're studying through together. It's going to be hard not to get depressed this fall. So you can pray for me. But man, that last sermon, though, those last 30 seconds... Of, of, of triumph in the rain. It's going to feel unbelievable uh, after 11 and a half chapters of, of poop, of heaven. And that's our final word of context here. You've got genre, author, title, message, approach, and then motivation. Why study Ecclesiastes at all? I mean, if 98% of the book is so depressing, let me just offer you four quick reasons. Number one, because it's God-breathed. It's God's word. All scripture is God breathed. If God sent you an email tomorrow, would you read it? Would you read every word of it? Even the hard to read parts, the hard to stomach parts? I hope you would. That's why we're going to study Ecclesiastes. Number two, it's honest. It's raw. I like how Philip Ryken puts it here. He says, more than any other book of the Bible, Ecclesiastes captures the futility and the frustration of living in a fallen world. Think of Ecclesiastes like the only book of the Bible written on a Monday morning. Are any of your lives just a, a weekend party all the time? Non is your life just a nonstop vacation on the beach? If not, then Ecclesiastes is for you. Number three, it's a much needed warning. 
Ecclesiastes is like one giant do not enter sign marking every other path that you and I could possibly try and take in life other than Christ. Many folks think that there are a lot of ways to getting to God. You've got your path, I've got mine. Jesus said, I am the way. Not a way, I'm the way. And no one comes to God but through me. Well, that didn't stop Solomon from trying, exhausting just about every other path out there before he finally returned at the end of his life to the right one. And here is Solomon at the end of his life on his deathbed trying to help us by warning us. He's saying, pleading with us, don't make the same mistakes that I made. Let me save you from all the hevel, the emptiness, the pleasure, and wealth, and romance, and work, and wisdom, and even religion is going to leave in your heart if you try and make those things your ultimate thing. Only God can fill the God-shaped void in your heart. And that's the fourth and most important reason that we're going to study Ecclesiastes, friends, is because ultimately it points us to Jesus. This book, more than uh, David Guzik's uh, pastor says, more than any other book of the Old Testament. If the Old Testament is anticipating Jesus, the Messiah, more than any other book, Ecclesiastes just makes us long for, yearn for the hope that comes with Jesus. Here's how the great John Wesley remarked uh, after he had preached his way through Ecclesiastes. He said, never before had I so clear a sight of the grand truth that there is no happiness outside of Christ. Do you know that this morning? If you don't, I hope you'll come back and join us throughout this fall. Because that point is really going to get driven home for, for 12 or so weeks here. Okay, that, that is the 30,000 foot view of the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the forest. And now we're going we're gonna to dive down and examine some trees together second half of the message. Now, you should already have point number one filled in your, your bulletin by now that everything is Hevel. Everything is Hevel. By the way, I also intended that as sort of a fun, depressing um, play on the, the Legos theme song from a few years back. Everything is awesome. Solomon says, really? What world are you living in? No, everything is Hevel. Uh, we covered verses 1 and 2 already, verses 12 through 15, just kind of reiterate that point again, again, repeated for emphasis, says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and search out by wisdom all that's done under, the, uh, under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God's given us. I've seen everything that's done under the sun. Behold, it's all hevel and a striving after Wind. Boy, that's another great word picture for hevel, isn't it? Chasing the wind. Friends, if you are trying to build your life on anything other than Jesus this morning, you might as well go outside right now with a giant butterfly net and try and catch the wind. Because you're going to be just as unsuccessful and disappointed. It's hevel. It's all sinking sand. Everything in this life under this sun 
is Hevel. And to prove it, Solomon is now going to walk us through six of the more popular foundations that people attempt to build their lives on, and he's going to demonstrate the hevelness, the hollowness of each of them. He starts, first sub-point now in your bulletin, with work. Your work is hevel. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? There it is again, under the sun. Solomon's rhetorical question here might remind you of another one from another famous wise preacher in the Bible named Jesus, who asked, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but what? Forfeit his soul. In other words, listen, if you are toiling for this life, in this world, under the sun, if you're storing up treasures for yourself here where moths and rust destroy, Jesus says you can gain it all. You can be like Solomon. You can be the wisest, wealthiest, most popular, most, you know, fill-in-the-blank person in all the world. He says, what's it going to be worth to you when you're laying on your deathbed? Like old, old King Solomon here. You can't take it with you. No, Jesus says. Store up treasures instead for yourself. Where? In heaven. Heaven is the opposite of hevel. Where, where there is lasting, eternal reward. Toil for the life to come. Because everything here under the sun, it's like building a sandcastle along the shoreline at low tide, right? We go on vacation with uh, our, our family. My kids always want to build sandcastles every day at the beach. You get to rebuild the sandcastle, right? There's no, no end to building sandcastles on the beach, is there? Because you spend hours on this amazing creation. Where is it the next morning when you return to the beach? Solomon says, that's your job. That's your work. That's all, all that you toil for. Nine to five, Monday through Friday. He says, Every, everything here, all those planes you help build and design for Boeing, they're going to rust and end up in the junkyard. You, you, you teachers, uh, all those kids that you spend all your, all your life investing in and teaching, guess what? They're going to forget it. They're, they're going to be at the bar 20, 30 years from now with friends playing trivia, trying to think, what, what did my fourth grade teacher, I know I learned this, and they're, gonna, they're not going to remember. It's, it's Hevel. Your work is Hevel. All those patients, doctors, nurses, all those patients whose lives you help save, guess what? They're going to die anyway. Uh, just a few years later now, you, you extended their life. You delayed the inevitable. They're going to die. It's Hevel. It's Hevel. You ever feel like you toil and toil and toil, but it never seems to make a difference? I know for my wife, it's the laundry, right? Can I get an amen from any other stay-at-home moms out, out in the congregation? Right? Nearly every day, she's cleaning and drying and folding and shelving, and by the time it finally gets back on the shelf, it's a whole other load, ready to go in the wash, isn't there? It's Hevel. For me, it's the dishes. No matter how many times, he, he, you, you throw them in the sink, you rinse them, you wash them, you dry them, you put them away. Those dirty dishes just keep coming, don't they? It's Hevel. The bills just keep coming. The grass grows back the minute you mow it. 
my facial hair. I hate shaving. I hate flossing, most of all. If I could pay $1,000 for some kind of operation where I never had to floss again, but try as you may, the plaque always comes back, doesn't it? It's Hevel. It's Hevel. This hamster wheel of life that we're running on. That's what life is, Solomon says. You're running and running and running and running. Where does it ever get you? Nowhere. It's Hevel. Some of you, by the end of this series, are going to start using Hevel as a new sort of replacement curse word. A more, a more biblical expletive. Like, man, that is heveled up. That's good. That's biblical. Verse 4. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The church father Jerome asked, what is more vain than this, that the earth which was made for humans stays and humans, the lords of the earth, suddenly dissolve into the dust? It's Hevel. Solomon says, you like to think that you're making a contribution, leaving your mark on the world, that your life matters. He says, long after your planes have rusted and your patients have died, you'll be forgotten. And all that will remain is the earth. So naturally, that's where he takes us next on our tour. Uh, option number two, nature. Maybe creation is full of meaning and purpose. Eh, sorry, wrong again. The sun goes up. The sun comes down and it accomplishes exactly nothing. What's the point? What is the telos, the purpose? Maybe you've heard of the teleological argument for the existence of God, this idea that there must be a God because the world is designed so purposefully, right? Solomon says, really? Because I'm watching the wind blow to the south and then the north. It goes around and around in circles, and it never actually arrives anywhere. He said, if you're going on a trip, you plug the destination in your GPS, in your Google Maps, and then you follow an intentional course to arrive somewhere, an end goal, a telos. Solomon says, the sun doesn't do that. The wind doesn't do that. The rivers don't. Don't, don't do that. The waters, verse 7, all the streams run into the sea, but the sea isn't even full. It's like you're trying to pull your, pour yourself a glass of water, not realizing there's a giant hole in the bottom of the cup. You never accomplish anything. It's pointless. It's purposeless. It's hevel. If Solomon were writing today with a more modern understanding of creation, he might rightly ask, what's the point of vestigial organs? Your appendix. All it's good for is bursting and trying to kill you. But what's the point of your wisdom teeth? They, they grow and come in. Why? So you can take them out? What's the point of mosquitoes or ticks or horse flies? Somebody here going to argue they make the world a better place? It's Hevel. It's Hevel. Creation is Hevel. And if the sun and the wind and the mighty rivers have nothing to show for all their constant labor for millennia now, thousands of years, millions, depending on your view of the earth, I mean, and where has it gotten us? It's Hevel. Then what hope could we possibly have of ever truly accomplishing anything in life? It makes Solomon tired just thinking about it. And so he summarizes in verse 8, all things are full of weariness. I'm tired. Don't you ever just get tired? Monday morning rolls around. Got to floss again. Got to shower again. Got to mow again. It's just tiring. A man cannot utter it. What about knowledge? Maybe knowledge 
Possibility number three, uh, we'll, we'll bring something new with it. it. You know, you're filling your mind at least with, with new ideas. After all, the book of Proverbs tells us an intelligent heart acquires knowledge. That knowledge is pleasant to the soul. It's better even than choice gold. Well, Solomon, who had more gold than anyone, steps in with a bit of a more cynical take. He says knowledge may be better than gold, but uh, this gold standard isn't exactly setting the bar very high. Because it's all passing away. It's heaven. Like gold, you can't take knowledge with you when you go. In fact, God has a funny way of reminding us of this in our old age, doesn't he? Some of you, the old memory isn't what it used to be, is it? Guess what? You live long enough, you won't remember anything. You won't know a thing. You'll just be sitting there in the old folks' home drooling your pudding down your, down your chin. That's, that's heaven. It's just like gold. If knowledge is your ultimate thing, then you'll never have Enough of it. Verse 8, he says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing, nor the mind filled with scrolling. Curiosity, a love for learning, that's a great thing. And that's the thing, just like all these hevels, work is great, nature is great, Curiosity is great, but an idol is when a great thing becomes your ultimate thing. And when it becomes your ultimate thing, if your deepest desire in life is a thirst for knowledge, then, friend, you will always be thirsty. You'll always be thirsty because there will always be more to know, more to see, more to hear, more to learn. You'll never master life under the sun. In the same way that the waters don't fill up the oceans, all the knowledge in the world won't fill you up, won't satisfy your curiosity. And the same holds true, number four, for progress. Verses 9 and 10. What has been is what will be. You think you're progressing and building new things. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? Now, some of you want to interrupt Solomon here and say, yes, of course there is. How about the iPhone? I mean, we, 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 most of us remember when they came out 15 years ago thinking, now this is new. You know, this is revolutionary. Solomon says, eh. It's essentially just a pocket-sized computer, which was just really a fancier stored program machine, which was just a slightly more evolved electronic numerical integrator can trace it back through the differential analyzer, the analytical engine, the jacquard loom, all the way back to the abacus of the second millennium BC. Truly, there is nothing new under the sun, just slightly modified, updated versions of the same old, same old. And especially in today's ever-progressing world, just as soon as something new comes along, you can wait about 15 minutes and be assured that something even newer is right behind it to replace it, isn't it? I mean, by the time you get your shiny new iPhone 14 Pro home and out of the box, they've already released the iPhone 14 Pro Max and made yours obsolete. You get new for about 15 minutes these days before it becomes old. Remember when Facebook was new and exciting? I, all the Gen Z people, Gen Zers here, like, what's Facebook? I'll tell you what Facebook is, kids. It's Hevel. Facebook is Hevel. You know what else is Hevel? Number five, your legacy. 
Your legacy is heaven. Any of you remember that song, Legacy, by uh, Nicole Nordeman? Who remembers that one? About five of us. Yep, that's right. She sings, I want to leave a legacy. How will they remember me? Solomon says, let me stop you right there, Nicole, and answer, they won't. They won't. Your song topped the Christian charts not even 20 years ago, and already 98% of the church world has forgotten it and forgotten you. And 100 years from now, no one will remember Nicole Nordeman. And she's quasi-famous. How about the queen? She's been all over the news this past week, right? Queen Elizabeth, her death, she was pretty famous. History will definitely remember her for a while. But 100 years from now, most people won't. She'll be another trivia question at the bar that three-quarters of those playing along will get wrong. Friends, what does that say about you and me? How many of you, raise your hand if you know your great-great-grandmother's name? Two. What does that say about you and me? hundred years from now, my great-great-grandkids can try and Google for me or whatever the new search engine that they're implanting on, on our kids' uh, brains directly at that point. They can, they can glorp for Will Duvall, and I will show up in zero of the results. There will be no remembrance of me, of you, unless any of y'all are more famous than I think you are. A hundred years from now, there will be no remembrance of me or you or the former things. Are you starting to feel depressed yet? Like you're, you're desperately searching, grasping for meaning and purpose in this fleeting existence that we call life? But it's like trying to catch the wind. Good. Then Solomon's got you right where he wants you. And unfortunately, you're going to have to stay there for another ten and a half chapters. <laughs> Solomon saves his best candidate for last. Number six, wisdom. He says, if anything under the sun can offer us real meaning, lasting hope, it's got to be wisdom. Scripture says, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Whatever you get, get wisdom. Even Solomon himself in chapter 8 here in Ecclesiastes, he's going to admit, who is like the wise? A man's wisdom makes his face to shine. Wisdom is a good thing. It's a very good thing. But once again, it's not the ultimate thing. Verse 16, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom. And I applied my heart to know wisdom. And I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For, verse 18, in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Any of y'all check the news before you came to church this morning? Couple? How did it make you feel? Just cheer you right up. You knew more, make you happier. There's a reason they say no news is good news, right? Even wisdom, though, Solomon says, wisdom is a specific kind of knowledge. It's knowing how to live life well here under the sun. Solomon says, if being wise just means that you're really good at navigating this world, this broken, upside-down world of ours where sin and chaos reign, then more wisdom really just means more vexation, more trouble, 
more distress. That's why Corey Tim Boom said, look around at the world and you'll be distressed. Look within and you'll be depressed. But look to Jesus to be at rest. You may have noticed I skipped over just one verse in our exposition, verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. In Solomon's day, that was true. But nine and a half centuries later, God would finally send his promised Messiah, who Isaiah had prophesied. Eight centuries earlier, he will go before you and make the crooked places straight. The one who would fill up what was lacking, what we lacked in the ability to atone for our own sins. He's the one who was pierced for our transgressions, who was crushed for our iniquities. God laid on him the iniquities of us all. Jesus paid it all for you this morning if you trust in him today for the forgiveness of your sins. Everything else is hevel, sinking sand. Friends, don't waste your life trying to build on smoke. Learn from Solomon's example. Don't don't be the stubborn, rebellious prodigal son or daughter who has to learn it the hard way, trying all the vain pleasures and pursuits of the world. Learn from Solomon's example. Learn from mine. If I was to ask you to share your testimony in Ecclesiastes form, what would yours read like? Here's mine. The hevel having the perfect family collapse. The hevel of hating God, rebelling against him because of it. The hevel of hedonism, hevel of achievement, perfectionism, people-pleasing, people-pushing. Hevel of hopeless romanticism, intellectualism, de- deconstruction, atheism. Marriage is a cure-all, it's ministry, as a savior. Ultimately, beneath all of it, the hevel of trying to be the Lord of my own life. It's hevel. It's all hevel under the sun. Life under the sun, S-U-N, is hevel. Friends, the good news of Ecclesiastes is that life under the sun, S-O-N, Jesus, is heaven. It's hope-filled. Life under the sun is empty. Life under the sun is eternal life giving.